Relax, kids, this isn't the stranger danger episode. Elliot couldn't make it, but no need to commit. I'll download you. Well, I'm not gonna shout, get over here, Tubbs. Don't. Before we start, he wanted me to read you guys something. Now, keep in mind, these are his words, not mine. He's a touch melodramatic. What I'm about to tell you is top secret, a conspiracy bigger than all of us. There's a powerful group of people out there that are secretly running the world. I'm talking about the guys no one knows about, the guys that are invisible, the top 1% of the top 1%. Welcome back to the Coffee Clutch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And it's just the two of us today. Ryan couldn't make it, but he did make sure to uh, text us some questions that he has for us. So we will go over that later. Yeah, we miss you, Ryan. But also kind of nice to be a duo again. Brings me back to our GOT days. Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today we're going over Episode 8, 2.6 in Robot Language, Successor. Directed by Sam Esmail, written by Courtney Looney this time. IMDb gave it a 9.0. And for the viewership, episode 6 was at a 0.57, episode 7 a 0.65. So we got a small bump back up. I'm interested to see what episode 8 gets. Before we get into this episode, I have one quick note from episode 7 that we did not go over. Leon references the Sword of Damocles when he's talking to Elliot. For those of you who don't know what this is, the Sword of Damocles was a parable about a court follower that wanted to experience the power his king felt. The king led him on the throne, but hung a large sword over it with a single strand in order to scare Damocles. The moral of the story was that great power came with great danger. So that was kind of a cool reference thrown in there that we missed. Oh, yeah. For today's episode, the origin of the title... Well, the extension .p12 identifies files from personal information exchange, which require a password to open, so they are secure files used to authenticate an individual on a computer or server. It's generally referred to as a PFX file. So basically, it's like the combined format that holds the private key and the certificate, basically what you just said, Mm -hmm. but its ability to combine multiple information into one file that can be pushed into, let's say, a browser for a browser to say, okay... So the certificate's right, the password's right, let them in. All right, makes sense. Something to note, uh, this is not common on public-facing websites, but corporate internal sites use that this as a, at a greater rate than any other. Okay. And the word successor, we were checking it out, we were trying to decide, like, what does this mean? So if we were talking about technology, it's kind of the same thing as, like, predecessor, a machine system or anything like that that exists after another one in a process of development. So, for example, the transistor's successor is the microchip. Okay. So it's pretty much like the regular definition of the word, the thing that comes next. It's the thing that replaces the older. Right. I was thinking uh, it could also be, I mean, this might be a stretch, but in this episode, basically, Darlene is Elliot's successor mm-hmm. for F Society. They're mm-hmm. pulling off their, you could arguably say this is their second most major hack since. Oh, yeah. The Without line, question. Right? She could be acting as Elliot's successor in this episode, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. I think we see those parallels in a lot of places, like what we talked about last episode the building tension for the shifting of power. 
Mm-hmm. Is it Angie or Mr. Price that have that? Is one trying to take it from the other? How successful is that? And so there's a lot of areas where that struggle exists. I think we'll get into that more as we go along. We have our three main questions that we're going to review throughout the course of our synopsis. One is about Trenton and Mobley. We see them increasingly freaking out, feeling like they're in danger over the course of the episode. By the end, do we know? Is it the Dark Army after them? Are they next? Are they actually trying to wipe out people within F Society? What's happening there? Second, did Darlene kill Cisco? Did she hurt him? What was she doing with the baseball bat at the end of the episode? Has she totally lost it? And number three, just commenting about women in power and how Esmail is portraying them. This partially comes from an email we got from Michelle, and she dissected that a little further. We'll talk about that later on. So thank you, Michelle. All right, on to my uh, fun facts section. Because, you know, all I have is, like, fun, probably kind of facts. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear it. Let's go. Uh, this one is a fact. If you email E Corp Legal, so remember in the scene when Darlene puts an away message after she kills our beautiful Suzanne Jones? Jacobs. Jacobs? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. That was kind of cool how she did that. So she's like, I'll be out from, what was it, something 7th to whatever month, same month, 27th. Right. Buys him some time, and she says, if you have any emergencies, please email uh, ecorplegal at uh, ecorp.com or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll, if you do email them, you get an auto-reply that says, thank you for your email. Our legal team will review your communication as soon as possible. There may be a delay in responding due to recent events. Thank you for your patience. Huh. So did she build that, or was that an actual ecorp thing that she just... I was like, oh, this will be good because if anybody tries to contact her, then they get another bullshit message. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I thought maybe that was just E-Corp's It could uh, message. be. But if she built that email account so that nothing gets to the real legal yep. that buys her even more time, yep. man, she's good. I'm going to go with that because that sounds cooler. I wouldn't have thought that until this episode. And that kind of just brings me to my overall feelings. And mm-hmm. I won't go too far in the middle of our fun facts. But... I really love this episode, and part of it was so much tension that we've been talking about building with Darlene as the leader, and will she be able to hack it? Will she crumble under the pressure? I didn't think she was going to be able to. She stepped up and did some stuff that was really difficult in this episode, despite me thinking she maybe didn't handle it all correctly. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. So as we waved goodbye to Craig Robinson, mm. Robinson, <laughs> last episode, uh, we find now that Craig Robinson has a new movie out called Morris from America. Mm-hmm. It's a romantic and coming of age misadventures of a 13-year-old American living in Germany. So he plays a 13-year-old. No, I'm just kidding. What? Okay. No, he's the 13-year-old's <laughs> father. Okay. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 94%. Audience score, 68%. So there's some discrepancy there. But mm-hmm. I, I watched some previews. It looked pretty cool. Basically, uh, Craig Robinson and his son, based off the previews, are in Germany. And mm-hmm. his son wants to be a rapper. And it's like, you know, the coming of age trials and tribulations of falling for a girl and um, facing your things that you're scared of, like mm-hmm. rapping in front of a crowd. It looks pretty cool. Critics consensus. Morris from America adds some novel narrative twists to its father's son story and gains added resonance thanks to a powerful performance from Craig Robinson. 
powerful. Okay, I was going to say my problem with that is it seems a lot like stuff we've seen him in in the past, either very cutesy, um, you know, family type or, or romantic or... type, or goofy and silly. Whereas he gave such an intense, powerful performance mm -hmm. in this, it was the first time I had ever seen him act a very serious role. I was looking for that next yeah. for him. But maybe that's mixed in here. It, it definitely is. If you watch the trailer, he plays a more serious role, hmm. but also has his goofy moments, which makes it perfect for him. Right. So check it out if you're into it. I had this fun thought, and our podcasts have been going so long that it's such a silly thought that I'm like, I'm not going to waste time. But I'm going to waste the time now before we get too long okay. so that I don't feel guilty. <laughs> okay. So E-Corp, E-Mart, E-Cash. So we always say E is for evil because... That's what F Society calls it, right? Mm -hmm. But what if the E is actually standing for Elliot? Oh, boy. Brain smasher. Again, it means shit. It means nothing. <laughs> okay, sounds stupid. But if there's a twist after a few seasons where this is all in his head or uh, like something about it being about his brain, mm -hmm. and some have made up inside of him, mm -hmm. it could be that double. Well, meaning. I was just thinking about, you know, they did start off by just calling it E-Corp until Elliot started to call it Evil Corp, and then that became common slang. Mm -hmm. But did it actually stand for anything initially? Did they ever say? Oh, I don't know. The E? I don't know. I think they just called it E-Corp. Yeah. Huh. Electronics Corp, maybe? Could be. Elliot Corp. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along, Twitter the day before yesterday, so Tuesday, Carly Chaikin, who plays Darlene, mm -hmm. Wrote, tomorrow's ep of Mr. Robot is the one I've been waiting for all season. Now we obviously know why, because this was basically her, sh her episode. Yeah. But I love watching, like, reading their, these people's Twitter accounts the day before, especially Mr. Robot, because they get really social. That comment was deserved. I think it was my favorite episode all season. I know there were parts of other episodes that I liked better, but taken as a whole, I really enjoyed this. I thought the pacing was brilliant. There was so much action. And it took me so long to realize this is the first episode where there was no Elliot in it. That's right. And I hardly even missed him, which is weird because what I love most about this show tends to be the psyche of Elliot yeah. and dissecting that. But we had so little time spent on all these other things we've been complaining about all season. We want to see the bigger picture and what's up with F Society, what's going on with the hacks. And they delivered all of that. Definitely. In a powerhouse episode. I got two more things. There's a article on hiddenremote.com where Portia Doubleday discusses the new Angela. So I'll just read you a, a little part of it. Yeah. At San Diego Comic-Con, Hidden Remote sat down with Portia Doubleday to get her take on Angela in season two. And if working on Mr. Robot is as much fun as we all think it is. Hmm. So this is what Angela wrote, said, Angela is not a character you should underestimate. I think she is really smart and really capable. I think that's what's so great about playing someone like her. I relate to her. I relate to being seduced by power. I think that this is validation in somewhat, something she's wanted for a very long time. But at the same time, there's a part of her that was told, if you want to make a difference, you have to work from within. She continued, explaining Angela's decision to take the job with Evil Corp. Mm -hmm. What I asked the audience is, would you make that decision if your parents were killed by this company? Would this lawsuit not mean anything? And if you want to make a difference, you have to work there and be productive there and be able to do it within. And I would have done it myself. So would you, uh, would you yourself 
feel that way. Yeah, problem is, I think she's doing a real shit job of that. Like she said, I'm going to take the harder road because I see, you know, she went to the lawyer first and she clearly saw that wasn't going to go anywhere. Even the lawyer had given up mm-hmm. on this route to a certain extent and she wanted to help and be proactive. If that wasn't going to do it, this was the next option for her. However, she hasn't been able to have that patience, mm-hmm. to have the intelligence to realize if you're going to get in and infiltrate from the inside, you have to be slow and smart and slick about it. Yeah. She's failed on every level of that. So I don't know about her character being that smart. And I think mm-hmm. we saw in this episode her completely losing control and oh. unraveling this whole facade that she's been <laughs> trying to put on. And we noticed, I believe last episode, she stopped at some point with the affirmations Maybe internally she didn't feel like this was working anymore because this episode is all about her in a way giving up on that and then coming back and being like, oh, no, this really is who I am. But, you know, in the bar scene, she's got her hair down. Her whole demeanor has changed. She really looks beaten to a certain extent. A little bit. But you see her fire back. But we'll get into that. Mm Mm-hmm. As much as I don't like some of her scenes, don't like is not the right word, but... I think it makes sense that we need someone who's weak as far as the way she is. Because we can't have everyone be a a clever hacker who can just infiltrate the FBI and E-Corp and this and this. Mm -hmm. She has to find her own way of infiltrating. I love that. Yeah. I just don't think it's being handled right. Because then she should be more of a human that we're relating to. Mm -hmm. She's half a robot herself. And I know a lot of this is supposed to be a show that she's putting on, but even in private moments, like here at the bar, I don't connect with her portraying emotions that much. She's really supposed to be having a breakdown here, and I don't feel that. I'm not relating to that. Right. Um, I mostly see it physically and with her behaviors. And also, I just think... uh, I don't know. We needed to push that a little further in certain ways then, if she's the person that's going through that struggle. Dig it. Definitely. There's way more to that article. Obviously, I'm just not going to just read an article on here, but you guys should check it out. Yeah. Speaking of uh, blogs and articles, there's one other one uh, about Darlene on The Hollywood Reporter. <laughs> it's titled, Mr. Robot Star Carly Chaikin Talks Darlene's Deadly Decision and Elliot's Surprising Absence. Hmm. So I'm not going to read this one. If you guys want to find that, we have a link to it on our Twitter page. Just check out at CKC Podcast. You'll see it. There's a nice picture of Carly there. You, you get to find out what she's talking about, how she felt about this episode that we're just talking about, mm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's like behind the curtain. There were also several music notes for this episode. We had the Haitian Fight Song by Charles Mingus, which was perhaps the best. It plays during the first scene where we see F Society forming in the past, how that happened. That song was awesome because it brought up memories of me growing up. Mm. My brother is a musician. He plays the upright bass. That's what Charles Mingus plays. Right. And I was like, I know this song. I know this song. And I'm trying to pay attention to (laughs) what's going on on screen, but my head is like, this song, I love this song. Why does it have great memories? That's because my brother who's been playing for, what, 30 years now? Jazz? Yeah. In the city? This is one of the songs that I used to always hear him playing, either playing himself or listening to. And it sets the stage really well for that scene oh to God, take perfectly. place. 
Then we have another great one, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. This is what Angie's singing at the karaoke yes. bar. And also we're flip-flopping between that and Trenton and Mobley setting up Susan to keep her quiet. But Angie singing it particularly. Yeah. Obviously the message, if you listen to the words. Everyone wants to rule the world. And that follow-up conversation later was just great. I love the way that could have been corny. Whenever you have... I don't know if she's trained in singing. Mm-hmm. Let's say she's not. Whenever you have an actor who's not trained yeah, and they have to sing it and portray a feeling, it could sometimes come off bad. Yeah. But uh, not saying that she sounded amazing, but it sounded good and you could feel her pain. No, it was just right because it was yeah. supposed to be karaoke. She wasn't supposed to be amazing. Mm-hmm. So I thought she hit that. You have Rainy Days and Mondays by The Carpenters. You had Dove by Simond. I think is how you say it. Uh, when Darlene and Cisco form the plan for how to deal with Susan's body and then go through with that. And finally, you have The Apartment by Giorgio Moroder, which plays as Mobley and Trenton make their plans for trying to leave and get out. Okay, and now we're going to jump into our synopsis. There was 17 scenes in this episode. The first scene is at Ron's Coffee Shop, and we learn shortly in that it's taking place in the past. We see a Happy Thanksgiving sign as a point of reference. Mm-hmm. Mobley is meeting Trenton for the first time at this coffee shop. He's a little socially awkward in the beginning, trying to talk her up. They both sit down to computers, and they start comparing phones. He has a Nexus. She has an iPhone. They get into this cutesy argument about which is faster. He tries to argue that it's Chrome and JavaScript, so they're throwing their tech notes in there. Android, yeah. What do you think about that argument before we go any I've, further? Well, I've had those many of times. Really, especially nowadays, mm-hmm. people don't really have that argument as much anymore because everything's caught up with Apple. Yeah, but so, it used to be a rager, uh, right? Yeah, definitely. Computers, phones, everything like that. Well, they agreed to compare speeds on a website. We find out what that is highoctane.dat. There's also, when you look further into that frozen screen, it says Python somewhere, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool because if you fast forward, if you look to the episode list for this season, episodes 11 and 12 are going to be titled Python. Oh. They both lie about meeting somebody there. They're sort of being a little bit evasive. We get a shot of Trent's screen, which says root at Mobley, Android, <laughs> ID, all this stuff. So you start to catch on that she's hacking him. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, the old malicious browser benchmark trick. Is he already on this noob's whole system? I like it. Didn't your mom ever tell you not to surf websites that have an embedded stage fright exploit? Can't drop the proverbial soap around a black hat bitch like this, Mobley. We thought they maybe could both be hacking each other, except that now Darlene comes up and basically blows up her spot that that's what she's doing there. And we find out the purpose. They both say they thought they were meeting Elliot. Darlene says he couldn't make it, but she pulls out her computer and reads his words. What I'm about to tell you is top secret, a conspiracy bigger than all of us. There is a powerful group of people out there secretly running the world. The guys that are invisible, the top 1% of the 1%. So what did we get out of this scene? One, I thought it was awesome and cute to see Mobley flirting with her mm-hmm. in a very awkward way. Yep. And her being very unresponsive. But at the same time, why do you women do this? 
You women. I realize I said it weird like that. You, and you say it a lot on this podcast. People probably think you're a, a raging misogynist or anti-feminist or something. Well, I'm not. And you're right. We should point out the fact that you and I are dating have been dating for years. So this oh, is yeah. kind of like... Uh, People maybe don't know that. You know, yeah. Jason is like <laughs> so pro-women and awesome about all that. So he's kidding, by the way. It's just a nudge nudge to someone you've been dating forever <laughs> who makes you do the dishes all the time. <laughs> but now I forgot what I was saying. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. Oh, oh, so... About her... So she was so like closed off, like, ill, don't talk to me. But then you see later that she's kind of either interested in talking to him or maybe just interested in in uh, breaking hacking into him. his phone. Well, she's intrigued by him. She yeah. likes this little contest. I think she was hacking him because she was trying to win the contest and then mm-hmm. maybe learn more about him. But yeah, that was cute. We got to see a little bit of Mobley's personality. He's sort of fumbling over this, but it's the group starting to form. Yes. It's the beginning of F Society, and Elliot is sort of the all-powerful but invisible like Oz right now. Yes. He's not at the meeting. He has these really <laughs> intense words to pass along, and they're going to take down the top 1%. I mean, the top 1% of 1%. Yeah, it's already really inspiring. You can see why they joined the group. I love how his sister, Darlene, says, well, he, he has a message for us, and uh, it's not my words. He seems to he tends to be a little, uh, what does she say? Melodramatic. Melodramatic. <laughs> I thought it was perfect. Now... This is in the past, but Romero isn't there. So did no. he join later? I thought yeah, he remember, was... he was kind of recruited in the Fun Society building. Okay, right. He's like, I just got out of jail. I got this place. Got it, yep. yeah. By Mobley. Okay. Yeah, that all makes sense now. I kind of would have liked to see them all together. That would have been fun. But we go forward to another scene of the present where F Society is at the smart house, Susan Jacobs' home. We go back to that moment, which we saw in a previous episode, where Darlene's leaning over Mobley's screen and saying, and this is happening tomorrow. We didn't know what they were talking about. We kind of guessed in the previous episode it could have been about the bulls balls. Watching the balls drop. You know, that whole, like, plan that they were organizing. Yeah. But that was just a sidebar. So here we learn it's about the conference call for the FBI. And they're going to hack into that. The conference call, the point of it is to discuss the ongoing investigation, quote, unquote. Right. So F Society gets that access code so they can listen in. And it starts to play. And we hear it's the nation's birthday as well. It's 4th of July. Okay, question. Mm-hmm. Question. So we see the F Society who secretly hacks, takes shit down. Mm. And there's also the F Society who has like this visual, they put on a play for people, meaning that dude who had to burn all the money. Right. And then the ball's mm. dropping. Yep. Would you say that's more Darlene doing even the there, play even part? there are videos to a certain extent, right? Oh, yeah. There's like a little bit of staging mm-hmm. and theatrics to it. Yes, I think 100% that's her. And if it was up to Elliot, it would be all hacking behind the curtain. Yes. We screwed the three million. They got us to 17. We're building our case around now. 16 in the codename case. Right. 16 months deceased. Doesn't help that Comey hasn't signed off on it. The fact that we're keeping it from him does not bode well for your case. He's an uptight choir boy. No one's going to be crying over how we catch these terrorists. I guarantee that. The FBI has three million of you innocent citizens under surveillance for no reason. 
Their tyrannical rape of our private data ends now. FBI, be warned. Your access to our lives is officially denied. Pursue us at your own peril. We do not compromise. We will not back down. We will destroy you. We are F Society. Am I going too far if I start talking about what they're brought up in the video? Oh, that's the next scene, so we can get into it. Okay. One, why would you tell the FBI and everyone, like, we intercepted this because we're in their system? Because that's going to put them on board, like, on guard. Yeah. You could have possibly gotten more things from it. That's true. I think one of two things has to be going on. Either they think they've gotten enough information already... Oh, I guess three things. Two, they think their hack is so airtight that even if they're on to them, they're still not going to be able to get them out. They're not going to be able to look under the desk and take out that thing that Angela plugged in? Yeah, stupid, but we haven't gone back to a lot of stupid things like that yet. We haven't seen the repercussions. Right. But um, three, perhaps Darlene just isn't thinking that carefully we've seen mm-hmm. her make impulsive moves like you're saying before for things that maybe aren't totally about the bigger picture and i right. think she really needs elliot to ground her in that and she hasn't had that no you're right and she's sort of spinning out of control i've been saying to keep an eye on that for a while now yes. so you would say as a successor she's not doing very well she's not as good as the original because they need each other to balance each other off yeah i agree I loved uh, the whole garb. I thought when we saw those videos in the beginning, like last season, I thought it was like just the mask and maybe uh, something on top. Mm -hmm. But she's wearing everything, the dress pants and the dress shoes. Yep. She's like actually getting into character. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what's interesting just in the beginning is that she's talking about 23 companies Mm -hmm. of which this is fun. Google, E-Corp, AT&T, Uber, Apple, Verizon, and Facebook pretty much all the things that run our society at present, yes. right, are complicit in aiding the FBI in Operation Berenstain. And we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're testing the video right now. They're talking about Happy Fourth of July, reminding you that under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, privacy is a right. And this is when they start playing the conference call. We see some clips of quotes come up on the screen that we can actually read what they're saying. So we see titles, you know, there's the assistant director, the deputy general. They're talking about how 3 million Americans are under surveillance for the 5-9 hack. These people who are discussing are saying, well, yeah, but we're covered under the Patriot Act. There's a little bit of a disagreement going on. Apparently there's one person within that group that doesn't want this to happen. They're calling him an uptight choir boy or something. And it ends with Darlene saying, you invade us at your own risk. And she has loaded this video through Vimeo. Yes. Okay. Question number one, right off the bat. They're supposed to be trying to disguise their voices. (laughs) Is this not clearly female Darlene voice behind that? I mean, it's a small point, but... You can hear that. And if you recall, the first video warps and she takes it out and puts it away. Right. So Ryan wanted us to ask, with the tape that was warped, can that come back to haunt them? Mm, like, like they didn't get rid of it? Do you think they deleted it? it? 
well, just again, when you saw Elliot doing all of this, he's so smart with everything and the things he's putting on CDs and labeling and, you know, kind of wiping things afterwards. I just don't know if she's taking all of those precautions or not. We mm-hmm. certainly don't see it on screen if she is. So perhaps. So we think it was obviously clever. They were able to uh, break into the conference call. Mm-hmm. They had some password on the phone. Don't know what they were doing there. And they were able to listen to it. They created a video. They put it, posted it on Vimeo. So that's uh, the second time we've seen Vimeo in uh, the show. Yeah, we're getting a little more of the hacking, kind of, what's yeah. going on there. So what they want to do is let the world know. Yeah, well, they're trying to stir people to action mm-hmm. by saying, look at what they're doing. Because of this 5-9 hack, and they're so desperate to get it under control, to figure out what's happening, this is going on too long, that they've invaded everybody's privacy. Three million people should not be under surveillance. They don't have the right to do that. Right. They're calling it under the bullshit Patriot Act, but it's not okay. And quite obviously they don't have any good suspects or good leads because they shouldn't have to put that many people under surveillance if they were doing their job. Their timing was not by mistake. Mm-hmm. It's on the 4th of July. We celebrate our yep. independence, our freedom. Yeah, that you have the right to your own privacy and they're messing with that. So get upset about it. But what are they going to do, us as people? I think they just want to stir the pot. They just want to make it more difficult for the FBI and everybody else that's trying to get things back under control. And they're also very getting very hot on the trail of F society. And I'm sure they would love to throw them off of that a little bit. Dig we'll it. see that later in the episode. There's also a point at the end of this scene where Mobley talks about the FBI having identified 16 suspects and one of them is him and one of them is dead, mm-hmm. Romero. So he's already starting to freak out. He says he's done. Cisco tries to stop him and he tells him when the Dark Army finds out, it's lights out. So you really should not be messing around. You have to stay. We have to figure this out. While they're arguing and embroiled in this, Susan Jacob returns home. Love it. How many times were we saying, especially last episode, they've stayed at this house too long. What are they doing? We did say it on the podcast. You're right. And there's going to be a reason for this that we'll get into later, which I didn't put together. At this point, I was so frustrated. I was like, oh, exactly what we said. They're effing it up. But it wasn't that. Right. Actually, when they were posting the, the Vimeo video, I was thinking in my head again. Who's keeping watch of where Susan is? Mm. No one's looking at a phone, like, where's my phone app or whatever. Yep. Uh, just very silly mistake. Well, they apparently they were actually doing that, but okay. we'll talk about that in another scene. Right now, we go to the 4th of July karaoke party, where Angie is out on a date, apparently, with a new guy that we don't know. She's very disinterested. She's watching the F Society video on her phone. Like we said, her appearance has changed. Her hair is down. She's a little disheveled looking, even though she still has her jacket on and whatnot. She runs into, I think it's her uncle, Steve, here. He's talking about the fact that she couldn't make it to her dad's barbecue. Right. And he says it must be tough on her dad to watch her, quote, bow down to the bastards that kill her father. And that swallowing is not a problem for her. He talks about (laughs) it's a tough pill to swallow. And who the hell do you think you are anyway? So some harsh words if this is Uncle Steve. It was a good scene because it kind of, he's smiling. It's like the friendly, you know, you know each other. Mm -hmm. And then it quickly turns. Yeah. 
And you know she's drunk. Yeah, and she gets really initially defeated by this and upset. She starts to walk away, but then turns, sort of changes into that affirmation Angie. Uh-huh. And says that, you know, he cleans shit for a living. So basically, who is he to talk? She's got a six-figure salary at the biggest conglomerate in history, and she's just getting started. But even the way she says it, who is she convincing here? She's trying to convince herself. Absolutely. And it's not working. I don't think this is doing it anymore. That whole facade is starting to crack, and I don't think it's going to be long before she totally falls apart. And let's not forget, she was on a date with a new guy. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. But also in a future scene, we'll get hit on by, or she hits on him, rather, an older guy at the bar. She made that lunch date. Who knows what happened with the FBI agent? Not that any of this is really serious, but you can just sort of see her spiraling out of control a bit. She has lost that power and control that she thought she had only episodes ago. And I think it's just going to get worse from there. That actor, the older gentleman? Yeah. That's Mark Moses. He plays... uh He's Duck Phillips in Mad Men. I thought he was familiar. Okay. And, you know, he had a suit on, like... Yeah, I don't do. think we got a name for him or for the guy who we find out later is actually an undercover FBI agent. Well, here there's a commercial with a Mr. Robot quote, which is actually a quote by Lewis Carroll. Sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. This is a very famous quote that's used in a lot of movies and things like that literature there was a movie where they talked about it a lot where she, wasn't it alice in wonderland yeah she yes, says i like right. to try to believe in as many as six impossible things before breakfast you know i love that quote obviously quotes like that that last through a lot of time mm-hmm. have many meanings but to me you know when you wake up and you start to if you start to you wake up and you have that day where you start to doubt yourself Mm-hmm. I have a meeting. Oh, I don't know if I can take this meeting. We have a podcast. Oh, I don't know if enough people are going to listen. Is this mm-hmm. even worth it? You can start to live your life by questioning everything and doubting yourself. And that one, to me, means you, you start the day with believing in whatever. The, it doesn't matter what number. It could be six, whatever. Two, one, impossible thing or something that you think you might doubt yourself in if you believe in it. You become what you believe in. Well, yeah, and it was perfect right off the heels of the Angie scene, right? It's like her affirmations that she's been telling herself. Mm. I can make my dreams come true. These things can happen. So it was a good placement. I'm a believer. (laughs) Yeah, now we go back to the smart house, and we're sort of going to get a lot of back and forth from this point on between the smart house, the karaoke bar, and the FBI interspersed. I think that works really well to create tension. Oh, yes. That you're seeing it back and forth, like the FBI is getting closer. (laughs) First, we're at the smart house, which is what we've been calling it, where they tie up Susan Jacobs in her pool room. She's threatening them, shooting her mouth off. I think it's Darlene that says we should have been watching the GPS. I believe so. And that's the first kind of tip-off we get about it. We'll see it again later. They talk about how they can't let her go to the cops. She saw everything. She knows who they are. They argue about what to do. Darlene eventually tells Trent to go in there and shut her up, at which point Susan harasses Trent about being Muslim, pushes her. You're not sure which one hits the other for a minute until they go back to it. We rewound it a couple times. I was sure it was going to be Susan hitting her, which I guess is what we were meant to think. 
Mobley says they're all in denial that they may have fucked up. The city's going to shit. Was this really the right thing to do? One would say that DJ Mobley's needle is about to fall off the record. What? <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> well, he's being annoying, and they're all sort of trying to get him to shut up, but he's the only one bringing up these points of, well, listen, guys, you're not paying attention, though. The FBI is on to us. We're being watched. And look at the repercussions of what our actions have done here. Doesn't anybody care about that besides me? Then we go back over to the pool room where we see Susan is the one unconscious. So I guess it was Trent that hit her, we find out. But Darlene says they can't get her help until they can be sure she won't talk. They need to own her. She uses own often. Mm-hmm. She used it in the beginning of the episode as well. It's, she's used it a couple of times now. When she says to Mobley, she owns you or something like that, or you owe him, you own him. Yeah. And she said in a prior episode to Angie, we own the FBI. Yep. Now we get a cut to of Angie back at karaoke singing Rule the World. She's seeming lost in thought and emotional. Cut over to Mobley hacking Susan's laptop. This is where it starts to get intense. Oh, yeah. They're going through all these things to try to dig up dirt on her and they can't find anything. He even says at one point, if they do find something, what are they going to do with it? And now back to the bar where Angie meets the older man in the suit. And he asks her, do you really have a desire to rule the world? He's half joking, being a little bit cute. She says, my desires go way beyond that. Which I don't even know what What that that means. She's getting totally out of control. I was thinking at that part, not to cut you off, when I was dating... Like at bars, if someone said something like that, I was always bad with flirting. I'd get in my head instead of like having a good quip or Mm -hmm. something. I'd get quiet, get in my head and be like, what does she mean by that? Is she flirting with me? (laughs) And like it would ruin everything. Well, she's a weirdo at this point. I'd be running for the hills if I was this guy. (laughs) He talks about his daughter, how he's there with his colleagues. You kind of get the feeling that he's not really trying to hit on her. No. But she tells him to stay with her and gets very commanding about this. I think you're younger than my daughter. <laughs> and now we go to the FBI meeting where DiPiero is interviewing a man who says he had nothing to do with the hack. She talks about the Shell's micro stamp on that bullet casing that apparently leads to his client's illegal gun. And offers immunity in exchange for a name. Yes. Do we know who this guy is or how no. he ties in? And what does it have to do with the bullet? I don't know. Yeah, apparently it's from his gun. His gun, okay. Which was illegal in this country. So she has him right there. If he gives up information, she'll let him go. She just wants to know where this trail leads to. And that the shell itself had a micro stamp. And that somehow that's how they got back to him. But they know... That this is really about other people. So mm-hmm. basically, if you can tell me someone else here, you're fine. And I guess this is how they get to Mobley, that he gave up Mobley's name? No. She got to Mobley from the... From the flyer. Yeah. Right. But what did this guy give up here? I don't know. Because okay. it doesn't seem like she's on to anybody else yet. We're going to have to leave it up to you listeners. You've got to help us. Email us at contact at coffeeclasscrew.com if you have any idea what that scene was about. And don't email us so we feel stupid. Just talk to us. That would be good. Just be nice Thanks. about it. Well, it's kind of scary if he did give somebody else up like Elliot that we're not aware of yet. Yeah. But we should... If it was something that big, mm-hmm. 
Sam would have made sure that we knew who that character yeah, was. Yeah, he's a rando. Yeah. We're back to the smart house again where Jacobs wakes up. Darlene comes in and unsnips her ties, gives her a cigarette. You know this is bad, the way she's walking around and posturing and just waiting. She finally starts to talk to her. She almost plays good cop for a second. Mm -hmm. She says it's her friends that want to blackmail her for her silence. They hacked her emails. They're onto her email scam that she has gotten hot and heavy with presiding judges Mm -hmm. and has fucked people over like she did her dad. And here comes the story about how she was four years old when she first saw her. It was on the news in the courtroom when they cleared E-Corp of all the bullshit they put her family through. She was in the back behind a seat of suits when Darlene saw her laugh and no one else noticed but her. She says, I've taken down your company, your home, and now she's after her. So that means that Susan was not a rando. Yeah, well, we knew that she was called Madam Executioner Mm -hmm. and that she was famous for being this lawyer who went after these cases where people were killed and she was very ruthless and... There was a lot of less than savory things going on. This is why they picked her to begin with. But we didn't know the personal tie that Darlene had to her. And now things are starting to make a lot more sense. Yes. That Darlene has been actually in this for personal revenge more than anything. (laughs) Yeah. This was probably what Carly, again, who plays Darlene, Mm -hmm. was referring to as her favorite. Like, this is what made it her episode, this episode her favorite. This was probably her favorite scene she shot all. It was really a monologue, even though she was talking to Susan there. Mm -hmm. And the conversation ends when Susan says, I'm sure we can figure something out. Which, is this not the worst thing to say in the moment? I don't know if she's talking about money or what, but she's trying to bribe her. Did she miss the whole point of Darlene's story? Perhaps. But when you have that much money, that's probably your go-to for many things. Yeah. Real quick. Reinforces it. Yes. Yeah. Before we go any further in this scene, uh, I think it's important to point out that they couldn't find anything on this woman. Yeah. Until they finally found that there was a Yahoo account. Mm-hmm. And then they were trying to figure out how are we going to get into this Yahoo account. And I think that's when the extension of this episode title, P12, mm-hmm. P12, comes into play. Because I think that's what, uh, I always forget this guy's name, the dude that she's sleeping with, the other hacker. Cisco. That's when Cisco was referring to when he was like, well, perhaps I can get into this, this, and this, and find and cross-reference and get the password. That's what they're referring to, finding the certificate and the, and the password to make a P12 to sign in. Okay, that was weird, because I thought this is where they just went in and did the change my password thing? No, that was, that was a different account. Okay. That's when they didn't need to do it anymore, because Trenton said, you mean this? And it was a sticky note with the (laughs) Yahoo password. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. So sorry, I just just didn't want to jump over that. No, that's good. It makes all the ties for me because I miss a lot of these things. Well, after she says, I'm sure we can figure something out, Darlene says, I already have, and hits her with the taser? Holy (laughs) shit, where did that come from? She falls into the pool and is floating there and seems like she's going to die at this point because she's already had a head injury. She just got tased. Darlene's leaving her in there. But it's very anticlimactic. She's just watching her body floating there. Yeah. And I'm going, holy shit, is she just going to let her die? I was thinking, that's a beautiful pool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's 
actually, it looked kind of scary in the moment. It was almost like a dungeon with this really dark lighting. And uh, mm, it was a little bit, they had a huge heavy door on the room. Anyway, she goes back into the other room and starts telling the rest of the group how Susan flipped out. She was just trying to scare her back. It was like, oh, I don't know how this happened. And Mobley's like, um, she had a heart condition. There was lots of emails from her doctor. You're telling me you didn't see any of those? When she says, no, everybody knows she's lying. She tells Mobley and Trent to go, that her and Cisco will stay to wipe down the house and figure it out. And this is when she goes and puts up the automated message on Susan's email about that being out of the office. To. Yeah. But I don't know if it's this scene or another one. They do talk about how they had this GPS tracker on. Mm-hmm. And this is how they were keeping tabs on her to see when she would come home except that I think Darlene was supposed to be doing this because they mentioned later that they weren't really watching the tracker. Right. And clearly she wasn't watching it on purpose. It was dumb to stay there too long. It doesn't make sense because Darlene knew that. She was staying there on purpose. Oh, that's what you think. She said at one point, I'm actually glad that you came home to Susan and that you found us here. I've been waiting for you to come home. Oh, shit. She wanted her to come home so that she could have this confrontation, and I think on some level she knew she would kill her. I didn't read that, but now that you say it, I think you might be right. She's been waiting for this since she was four years old. And Mm. that, to me, shows the twisted level of Darlene that we knew from season one there was something real off about her, and then they got off on this Elliot's the one that's crazy and has a dark side, but... Darlene's got her own dark side and her own fucked up shit that's really starting to come to the surface now. And that would make sense why she ignored uh, the emails about the heart condition. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you paused the video when they were looking in her email, in Susan's emails, you'll see one with the subject line, living with a pacemaker. She saw him. <laughs> she knew. She did this on purpose. That's why she had the taser. She wow. was ready. You think she just walks around with a taser in her pocket? Well, maybe. She knew that would get her. She got a heart condition. Oh, I guess you're right. Oof. Yeah. So this paints Darlene in a whole new light. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I guess to a certain level, Elliot did start this for personal vengeance too, but I think he's off now on a bigger purpose, and she's really kind of been stuck on this personal thing and what's going to happen now, now that that's kind of taken care of. Do you dislike her more now or yeah. like her less, I should say? Yeah, I'm very scared about her. I was thinking something very different about her motivations and intentions this whole time. I think it's very interesting and awesome the way Esmail has led us to believe one thing about her. Yeah. And now we see a totally different story. I wonder if this somehow plays into why Elliot forgets about her hmm. and what kind of other crazy shit she's been up to and in the the Elliot dream vision, we see the mom abusing only Darlene, which we said, we thought that was some kind of weird exaggeration perception of Elliot, but I wonder if she did maybe go through something different than he did. I think more happened in their childhood. There's just more shit going on there. And uh, she could be just as psychologically scarred as him. What if he remembers... What if Elliot remembers his father pushing him out the window, but it was actually his sister? Hmm. Remember, he forgets about it, it being his sister. He yeah. Because that ending clip, was it last episode or the episode prior when they're driving? Elliot just got in trouble as a kid. And 
Mr. Robot <laughs> column uh, was telling him about his sickness yeah. and about the store. Mm-hmm. He was a completely different guy there. Yeah. And I kept saying, that doesn't look like a guy that would push someone out the window. Sure, yeah. So maybe. I, uh, yeah, I think there's more in their relationship together, too. Uh, I'm really, this has got me most intrigued to find out what's going on there. Okay, so now we head over to the subway where Trent asked Mobley if Darlene meant to do it. Had to be self-defense, right? They know what's going on, but even they can't come to terms with it. It's Mm -hmm. almost like they didn't know this side of her either or the extent that it went to. Um, They're asking what the plan is. Mobley tells her she needs to leave, that if she had that much to lose, she shouldn't have done this in the first place. And that what they did was colossally stupid and they need to stop denying it and it's time to get out. I think it's one thing to to point out in that scene, she says, but my family. Mm. And he said, that's when he said, if if they mean that much to you and if this meant that much to you, you shouldn't have done it. Yeah. And it's important to point, remember we said that when we get to the scene when she has to leave her family. Yeah, and we go back for a last time to the smart house now where Cisco says they got to wipe everything down and leave. Um, Do you really think they're going to be able to sufficiently wipe this house? I mean, they've been there for a while. All right, my vote. We leave it here, wipe our prints, and just make a run for it. Can't. The others will be back soon. They'll find her. Just, just text him. Tell him the place is burned. Can't take the risk. They won't listen and come back anyway. We need to get rid of it. We ain't doing shit. See if my guys can take care of it. Okay, no offense, but I don't trust them either. This is my responsibility. Well, if this is the part of the conversation where you start throwing out ideas like acid and wood chippers, I ain't obliging. This isn't a conversation. We need to do what we always do when we go into full wipe down mode after a hack. Well, she said full wipe down mode. I thought that was a great scene. We're hackers. Just like we do on the computers, time to get into full wipe-down mode. Yeah. Delete any trace where you're here. Yep. What was your question? I was... Do you think they got it all? Well, uh... Because yeah. especially, uh, just we found out later, they had to put Susan into a suitcase, and seems like she was intact and in one piece, so I guess that's smart. There wasn't any blood or anything. But, like, did they drain the whole pool? You know, like, there's got to be stuff in the pool. I don't know, just, like... Well, there's a few things. There's that tape that Ryan pointed out. Yep. There is the spot on the wall that has to be of Susan's uh, mm. forehead blood. Yep. There's got to be the blood that when she's laying on the stairs, when they tie her up again, there's everything they've touched from upstairs to downstairs. They've been living in this freaking house. Yes. There's and DNA on the pooper. And <laughs> our listener, one of our listeners pointed out... Mm-hmm. They both smoked a cigarette, Darlene and Susan, and threw Darlene th- tossed her cigarette butt clear across the pool room. Oh, wow. So there's that. That's definitely going to have her DNA on They'd it. They'd have to wipe down every single part of that room. 
Sorry. So to an answer to your question, do I think they got everything? Most likely, no. Yeah. They're talking about the fact that the rest of F Society will be back soon, and they just need to get rid of the body. And she doesn't trust anyone else to do it. So Cisco's kind of saying, why don't you let them do it? This sort of reinforces what we've been saying about the other people within this group and how Darlene's just kind of been giving them busy work to do. Not that it's nothing, but she doesn't trust them with the big jobs, the big hacks, or inside information such as this. I'm actually surprised that she trusts Cisco on this level up until the end of this episode. I know that it's her boyfriend and all of that. Her ex-boyfriend but or something. Yeah. But um, I just thought she was a little smarter than that. Anyway, right, they go into their full wipe-down mode, and then we see them on the subway with the suitcase. Now, before we even go that far, I just thought of another thing. This is the city, right? First of all, awesome to have an indoor swimming pool in the city. Yeah. But second of all, people live on top of each other, even in those big sexy uh rich people places yeah left and right of them it's got to be a lot of people right you would assume wouldn't they have noticed that for all these weeks there's like kids quote-unquote compared to susan going in and out of her apartment that's a good point but a lot of times people don't even know who their neighbors are like i don't know how much attention they're really paying right okay could be family staying there for all they know well, remember when they had like, kind of like a there was a lot F of society people there once. That could have been a party. They had a ball party. Yeah, <laughs> so it could have been a party. They're like, look, we got the balls. It is a little weird though. Yeah. And if any one person recognized, let's say Darlene, and can identify her, they were taking precautions, like when we saw when she was telling Angie to make sure that she wasn't being followed anywhere when she came to see her that day. They were kind of doing that, but I do think there's a lot of stuff she probably missed, and she didn't play any of this the right way. Well, Christina, you have long, dark hair. Yep. You have hair that falls out everywhere in the house. Yep. There's. She didn't get it all. No. No way. I keep harping on that. Sorry. Moving along. Anyway, I like this next scene, how it paid off with the dog shelter playing back in. They talk to this guy who says they screwed him last time. They almost got him fired, and it's going to cost them double now, which we don't know what that means. They say they have no cash. They offer him e-coin, which is worth double. 2000 is what they transfer over to him. So I don't know if that was 2000 bitcoins, $2,000. But they say they're paying him for privacy, so he leaves. Yes. How does this come back to the dogs? Well, this is the dog shelter where they oh. went that one time and they were letting all the dogs loose. Oh, okay. And that's when it almost got him fired. I'm surprised it didn't get him fired. Yeah. I mean, really. But apparently they're paying him to use the incinerator shoot, which, okay, I guess this is kind of smart. It's a lot easier than chopping someone up. For sure. <laughs> I can't believe they fit her body in that retrospect kind of tiny-ass suitcase, but I yeah, guess it was true. big enough that it didn't fit down the incinerator. They had to actually take it out, and I was dying here thinking they were going to be taking out, like, loose body parts and bags, and they just had her all, like, kind of shoved up and packed in there. Crazy. But they sort of glossed right over that, so it wasn't too bad. They put her in it. Uh, Cisco talks about how it was traumatizing, but she had to do it. When they're back on the subway, she's being very quiet and I think he's trying to reassure her mm -hmm. um, all the way through to when they get home but she says she doesn't feel bad 
You know, he's got it wrong. She always wanted to punish this woman. And this is where she finds out she's been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, she said, quote, I don't feel bad. I figured when the time came, something would stop me, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. That makes us a little afraid. Even the look that Cisco gave her in that moment was kind of like, who the fuck are you? Hold up. Thought? <laughs> yeah. I still think Tyrell's alive, but if he is dead, mm-hmm. I'm still going to go with Mr. Robot is protecting Elliot from the real truth. Maybe Darlene his sister killed him. killed him. She told him about the gun and the popcorn. Yep. Right? She was the one that pointed that out. Yeah. Hmm. I'm starting to think you're totally right. Wow. She's the bad guy. She's the bad guy. Wow, did we just come up with the whole... And Mr. Robot's been protecting him from her this whole time because it is his sister. Did we just become best friends? I think we did. Shit. What's your favorite dinosaur? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now we go back again to Mobley and Trenton, and it's really culminating here. They are freaking out. They're losing their shit. It's back and forth between the two of them. First, Mobley meets this biker on the street, asks him if he did what he said. The guy says, yes, no one's inside. We go to Trent at home with her family, really nervous, telling them that she thinks they should move. The city's not safe anymore. They're not paying her any attention. And finally, back over to Mobley, who hears a knock on the door, and it's the FBI. intense they really made you feel the pressure because it was these really quick blips not even scenes back forth back forth so you could get that sense of the pressure rising and how much they were trying to get out and really desperate now yeah at first you thought the fbi was with we haven't even gone to that but you thought it was or no at first you thought that trenton was knocking on the door right yes i thought she was trying to kind of go to him and say, you're right. You know, we got to get out of here. It was just the editing that kind of played with your head. But that's like the third time they played with you over a knock at the door. (laughs) (laughs) One of these days it will be Tyrell. (laughs) Yes, one of these days. (laughs) Uh, We get a brief eCorp messaging app commercial again. And then we're back over to our scenes where we're in the FBI interrogation room and Mobley is being questioned by DiPiero. She shows him the flyer. She found it Romero's. Talks about how he had a DJ Mobley fan page from 2003. And she's figured out this is how it became his hacker handle name. So it means more to him. She's again showing her intelligence for putting all these things together. And basically she wants Tyrell. She needs names and information from the party that would help and he'll be okay. It's the same spiel she gave to the other guy, but on a bigger scale. Tyrell is the main guy. Yeah. So before we go any further, does she not even know about Elliot? In her mind, in the FBI's mind, is it it's all Tyrell. about Tyrell? Yeah. 
which is pretty amazing because we said that a while back too. Is Tyrell just going to be the face of it now? Yeah, that's what it seems. You know, it, I had to watch that scene again uh, when Mobley was being questioned. I was like, how did they know that he was Mobley, blah, blah, blah. So essentially, there was a real DJ Mobley, mm. and it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. But he was the only fan on that fan page. Or, or the he one was there like, longest since yeah. 2003 or something. And then they traced that back to it being him. Now, okay, I feel like this is a little shoehorned in there, though. Because, like, A, did they ever, like, at any point say... Oh, remember DJ Mobley? Or like bring this up so that we would know that it was somebody else other than this guy? Or is That's that common knowledge? So or I don't something? think so. That's probably why we didn't get it at first. Because then how would Dom have got, like why wouldn't she have just thought it was this famous dude, DJ Mobley? Instead of leading her to an actual person when she picked up that flyer? Right. Like what would make her think about right. trying to hunt down a real Mobley then? Oh, shit, you're right. When was our um, Mobley, was he DJing that night, end of season one? Or was it a different person DJing? Which that would be Sam's way of telling us that that's not DJ Mobley. Right. I don't think he was, but I don't remember. I think that it makes sense now that this is just somebody that he worshipped. But yeah. then, like, it doesn't make sense how Dom put those pieces together. Unless she just said, I'm going to take this name and look into it. But it really seemed like she had a spark the moment she picked up that flyer. Oh, that dude that they caught, was that DJ Mobley? And that was his gun? And then he, the only person he knew from that party was the one who invited him, which was Mobley? Well, that makes sense. Maybe he's not the actual, like, real one that they have the fan thing for, but he was the DJ at the party that night. Maybe. Or maybe that is the real DJ Mobley. It could be, I guess. Okay. And he gave Mobley's name. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I, think we, I think we worked it out, maybe. I think so. We'll get a lot of emails is, if we didn't. You know, this is a really tough episode. It's very different than the previous ones, where we're really breaking down the psyche of people, getting into the minds and how that works and how they relate to others, whereas this is a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Um, it's figuring out pieces that we've been wondering at for almost two seasons now and how things are starting to slot together. Right. So I think you could take this in a lot of different directions with different theories until we find out what the whole game wound up being. Uh, So if you've got some thoughts, please write in. We'll go to some of our Clatcher comments later on in the episode, too. Oh, and the most important part of this episode that you uh, missed, apparently, Dom's hair is dyed red. Was it always dyed red? Yeah, you know, I actually kind of (laughs) noticed that, too. I don't know if there was something to that. But we're about to actually get to one of the big things in this episode. Um, It's in this scene. So as soon as she leaves with the interrogation with Mobley, Dom runs into, I guess, what's her boss. And he's upset with her. He's telling her this is not the way we do things. It's supposed to be from the top down. She started from the bottom and is trying to work her way up. Mm -hmm. And they don't have any evidence on Mobley. They can't be running the operation this way. And they're about to announce that Operation Berenstain is dead. Uh, that she's held this guy for 12 hours, it looks bad, she's got to let him go, and that the paranoia will just do the work on its own. But this is now one of many references to Operation Berenstain. I don't want to spend too long on this, because I know we have so much to go over in this podcast. This is kind of a big topic that was brought up a while back, 
I did research it. I'd heard a lot about it. I didn't see the need to bring it up because I didn't know how it would tie in to our bigger story. Right. Just seemed like kind of a fun side theory that people were putting out there. But and Ryan kind of helped us out with that. Yeah, I wish he was here because he said it in a very concise, kind of easy way to understand, but I will try to, as quickly and simply as possible, put it out there in case you haven't heard about this. I'm taking this from, partially, a website called theglobeandmail.com, though like I said, there's been a lot of talk on many podcasts and Reddit and everything else, so credit to everybody who's talked about this. It's the Bernstein Bears Alternate Reality Theory. Also called Schrodinger's Nostalgia, it's the Mandela Theory, there's a lot of names for it. But essentially, there's been this feverish discussion around theory that the popular series of illustrated children's books, do you remember these? Yes. The Berenstein Bears? Berenstein Bears. As I remember it. Okay, so you called it Berenstein as well. Yes. Correct? Mm -hmm. Spelled S-T-E-I-N? I, I, it's that had to be the spelling if my parents were teaching me how to read and they were calling it Berenstein. Right. So yeah. Something that you would probably take notice of that many people took notice of and remember it being that way because, like you said, they learned to read off this book. Well, this book is actually officially called the Berenstain Bears because it was named after the creators of the book. This was their last name. So if you look it up online now, you can see images of the book spelt Berenstain, S-T-A-I-N. Hmm. How does this make any sense? And it's not like a few people that remember it incorrectly. It's a lot of people. Like yes. everybody I talk to, everybody you hear on the internet. And they're saying it doesn't mean that we were all wrong about this. But in fact, the spelling changed at some point in history. A point at which two streams or parallel realities diverged. Two time streams. In other words, we just jump track somehow. And there's another reality that still exists out there somewhere where they're called the Berenstain Bears, but we're now living in this second reality where they're called the Berenstain Bears. So the realities got jumbled? We jumped tracks from one to the other at some point. We used to be on that one where there was Berenstain Bears mm -hmm. and there was a whole bunch of other things that are just slightly different. Yeah. And at some point, we all jumped off and got onto this other reality. I know when that point was. When? When Bush was elected for the second time. <laughs> because apparently he lost in votes for real. And then the hanging Chad. Okay. Or maybe it <laughs> so happened... that changed time? At the millennia, the year 2000, when the world was supposed to go to shit. Maybe. We didn't actually... Uh, die it wasn't the end of the universe but it was the end of our universe right that was with the uh with computers because the 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 way they were putting dates it was only a two number date and it was going to really, reset and go back to zero zero we were moving over we were moving over to, to this another, new world yes. we had to reset boom reboot well there's other things about this just to kind of briefly discuss other examples include the spelling of Barbara Streisand's name that apparently now it's spelled B-A-R-B-R-A. But it should be Barbara. B-A-R-B-A-R-A. -A -A, that's how everybody spells it. Okay. Uh, there's a famous painting of Henry VIII holding a chicken drumstick, a painting that many people remember, which actually does not exist if you try to look it up now. What? And finally, there's this big thing about Nelson Mandela. Yes. Um, if you ask, a lot of people claim to remember that he died in prison in the 1980s. I don't know if you have any remembrances of this, um, but... He died in 2013. Right. So that can't be true. So 
it can't be that this many people have this many false memories over a fairly large things, some of them quite a lot bigger than Berenstein or Berenstein Bears, and this is how they explain that. Um, there's a lot of other, you know, more sensible things, like when it comes to the book, that Berenstein is a more common pronunciation. Steen is something we all readily recognize, yes. and so we just started calling it that, and over time we thought that that's how it was. And you just sort of remember it differently. But how do you account for all those other events? And anyway, so they think that this show is trying to somehow tie in the idea of these alternate realities. That's why they've named it Operation Berenstain. And I was like, oh, wow, these are really cool. But yeah, how does like they're just saying like, oh, yeah, he's putting out there this other realities. But why would that? make any sense so it's kind of cool if you think about the fact that Elliot creates these alternate realities that have become a bigger and bigger part of the story in this season he's presenting us with things that are slightly altered you know it's still the world it's still the events kind of occurring but he's somewhere else instead of the prison right he's thrown back to a Mm -hmm. 80s or 90s sitcom tv show and now we're getting the ultimate idea that perhaps White Rose could tie into this somehow, and he is actually trying to hack and master time. And this is why his preoccupation with time, and he's got clocks everywhere, he's always checking, he doesn't want to lose time. It's very important to him because he thinks he's found out some kind of secret, some way that he can get control over this, and maybe he's got ideas about these parallel universe and maybe in that parallel universe he's either a woman or he does have a sister Mm, or both or both maybe that's why he's so desperate to get to the other universe the idea moves me very deeply the idea of this other he even says like other Other, universe right where things could be different oh my god and that's why he got all emotional there because he wasn't talking about dresses or just things that trouble him. He was talking about this better world that he wants to live in. Is that three puzzle pieces that we just did? I don't know, but, (laughs) you know, I know we're not the only ones talking about this, but the conclusion of White Rose tying into it blew my mind because now I could actually kind of see it being a part of the story. Yeah. All these other people have ideas for how to change the world and the money and the currency, but he's thinking about something so much bigger, and we've said from the very beginning... He seems like he's got the pulse speed of a greater purpose. Yeah. We might be way off with <clears throat> these three things that we figured out, but if we're not, guaranteed I'm going to be an asshole and pat myself on the back and replay a clip of this. <laughs> yeah, well, we can't not talk about it now. They've gotten to be so huge that it's theories that we really like and we're on to. Well, there's Berenstein one, yeah, but the other two we were doing... And there's some more from listeners later that we'll get into. But if you have any ideas or thoughts about what we just talked about, new theories that you'd like to discuss, please write in and let us know. We'd be happy to review. For now, we're going to get back to our synopsis and go through the last couple of scenes that we have for this episode. There was a brief ending to this scene with Dom and Mobley where we see Mobley actually released. He's back out on the city streets and he's sending a message to Trent to be delivered in X amount of time, after which he wipes all the data from his phone and throws it into the delivery bike basket to get rid of it. Then we go over to Trent actually getting the message to meet him and saying, you know, they're on to them and they need to leave and so they're coordinating their get together. 
And then finally we go back to the FBI office one last time where this guy, I still don't know his name, the new agent, younger guy that we met, says that he lost Angie somehow. So he was on a date with her. He was undercover. He was trying to spy on her, but he basically says they all look like fools. Uh, she wasn't giving up any information. She's stone cold anyway. He actually kind of got hurt by her. Uh, and then she bailed on him for an old dude at the bar. Yeah. So even in that brief interaction on a non-date where he was at work and they were together for all of a few hours, she was so harsh that she actually kind of got to this guy, too. So we see her losing control a lot in this episode, but she's still smart enough and shrewd enough that we got to assume she didn't know this guy who's FBI undercover. No. And yet she's locked down. She didn't even let one personal thing slip the entire date. Well, you know when people say, I'm not in that point in my life where I can have a relationship, and you're like, you're just bullshitting me. You don't like me. I think legit she's not in a point of her life where she can fall in love with anybody. Legit? I don't know if she's at a point right now where she can feel things. Yes. To any great extent. Yeah. This guy's right to be a little scared of her. But it seems like Dom has been put off on a lot of stuff this episode. So we mm-hmm. saw her hot on the trail last episode pursuing super onto Angie. She told Angie to come by and give her a statement. Yes. That never happened, and she hasn't pursued that yet, which is kind of weird. Strange, yeah. She hasn't found the thing that they planted on the Fed floor, and, I mean, presumably they're going to be out of that building soon. So um, her they already are. interrogation with... Uh, Mobley didn't go anywhere. She was forced to let him go. Her boss is telling her that Bernstein is about to be dead, so they won't be able to get people that way. Is she just being diverted that easily? I wouldn't say that easily. It's just this is a lot harder than you know we think it is because we know all the truths. There's so many um, things going on, and you can see that she doesn't have full reign to do what she wants. Right. You know, she had to let Mobley go. She would have gotten to him eventually. She has to play by the rules, and they don't. Yes. Uh, She's a smart chicken. Chicken? (laughs) She's a smart chick. (laughs) You know, we said a while back that she might end up going rogue because the FBI puts too many restrictions on her and also doesn't believe, like she does, that she knows how to get to these people. So she might just get told, listen, hey, take a vacation. You're going too far with this stuff. Take a couple weeks off, like often happens in these types of uh, shows or movies. Yes. And then she decides to pursue it on her own. I know that Esmail doesn't follow tropes a lot, but I could really see him headed in that direction with Dom. Yeah, perhaps. Um, also, we talked a little bit about what would you call Dom? Because she's supposed to be the person fighting on the side of good, she's right. not necessarily supposed to be the protagonist mm-hmm. because our protagonist is Elliot. But that's weird because now we're meant to question, was this really a good thing that Elliot did? He's taking down all of these constructs that have created a lot of chaos. I mean, you tend to think about the FBI as sort of being the good guys. And so in a way, we're meant to look at Dom in that sense, but... Clearly, whenever she comes around our main characters, even Angie, who we've been suspicious of all season, we want her to go away. We don't want her to get too much information. We're afraid of her. Um, So I don't think that makes her the antagonist either. It puts her in a weird 
place. I talked to my sister about this and she said, there's not really a name for that type of character. She's Mm -hmm. really um, either a protagonist that we don't like very much or an antagonist, but she's just not super evil. Okay. Depends on how you look at it. In that email from Michelle, she pinpoints Dom as the antagonist here because she is going against our protagonist the way we look at them, Elliot Darlene of Society. There's a couple things actually really great that she has to say, but we'll get to that in a minute in our Clatcher's comments. For now, we have three more scenes to discuss. Brief, but important. First is at Cisco's house. Angie wakes up to Cisco being in the shower. She's walking around, looking at things in the room, and really lingering on his computer. And you can tell she wants to hack it. She's suspicious. She needs to find out what's going on. She sits down. She sort of puts him off with the questions he's asking, and the scene cuts. This is where we get a brief interruption to go to the coffee shop for our last look at what's happening with Trent and Mobley. We see Trent leaving her house. Yes. So this, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with her discussing how important her family is, mm-hmm. you know, and leave my family. So you see that she's trying to, I mean, it's obvious it's not going to work. She's trying to say, with all this going on, New York's not really safe anymore. We should move. And then her dad, which is another uh, way of Sam letting us know what's going on with the economy, says, mm-hmm. uh, they won't let us sell right now. The banks, you know, we're having enough trouble Showing the bank how much we've paid them, blah, 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 all that yeah, stuff. He might actually lose money. Yes. If they sold right now, it'd be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So she's forced to leave them. Yeah. And she sticks her head out. And you see on her face, this is a real goodbye to her. But she says, I'm going out for a bit. And her family thinks she's just leaving. So they won't even, they're, they're watching TV or something. So they yeah, don't even look at her. Just like super Please. casual. They're like, all right, see you soon. So that, I think that makes it even more painful because she can't give a true goodbye. She can't embrace them and hold that extra two seconds yeah. in a hug that you need emotionally, right? Yeah, and what's troubling is that you don't know what's going to happen to her. So she might just have to go somewhere and lay low for a while and then she could be back and everything could be fine. She might have to stay away for a long time so that she doesn't put her family in danger or she might end up getting killed. Right. If somebody is, in fact, going through this list of people involved in F Society and targeting them the way they did with Romero, you might have just seen the last of. And, and, and not to be harsh, but out of all the characters, especially those within the main F Society group, mm-hmm. Trent is the one we know least. Yes. She's had the least airtime. And we got a lot of her backstory in this episode, and it's a very common thing that show writers do where when they're about to take somebody off mm-hmm. a show, they give you a little bit of a look into their past and who they are and how they got here because it's the last opportunity for them to do that. Do you think she's burnt? I mean, Mobley was kind of burnt because of DJ Mobley, but they got nothing on him. And she and he also learned that she knows nothing about Elliot. Dom knows nothing about Elliot. And it's about Tyrell. Yep. So... Trenton's not burnt. It's not about the FBI. Okay. Um, It's whoever killed Romero and could potentially be coming after them. And this is what Mobley was so paranoid about. And I think that if it's the Dark Army, let's say, uh, Mobley and Trent is who they're going to come after next. 
probably Mobley first because he is getting so paranoid and causing such a freaking hubbub about it. Yes. And say if Cisco really is watching him and goes back and is like, listen, this Mobley dude is really starting to freak out. He might crack soon. The FBI just interrogated him. He's ditching his phone. He might leave town. Right. I think he'll be first and then it won't take long for them to put that trail together to Trent. And Darlene is either first or second, depending on the timing, because he said she's here like you told me to. I mean, we haven't gotten to that part, but I know, but I don't think it's a killer. Maybe he's going to take, take out Darlene between her importance to the mission and her personal relationship to Cisco. Right. I don't I don't know. It left things very weird, which we'll get into in a second between them. But um, up until now, that's what I would say is that Trent and Mobley are definitely being set up as the next fall guys. Also, before we move on to the next scene, it was pretty cool to see. I was wondering what Mobley was doing on his phone mm. where it said, uh, like, destruct in five seconds or something. Mm. And then we saw when Trenton got the text message that it deleted itself in yep. five seconds, which is kind of cool. I've never seen she a text messaging like that. She only has time to just read it and then it wipes. Kind of yep. like those, uh, what do you call me, a sketch? Oh, you just yeah. shake it. It's There's, gone. That's yeah. what I thought of immediately. There's also that video app that it, I can't believe the name escapes me right now. People are going to yell at me. It's very popular. It's a, you send a, a video, you watch it once and it deletes. Ah, cool. I forgot what the hell it was called though. Uh, it was made by Pornhub originally so that oh, people could do porn things wow. and it disappear. But it got so popular that kids are using it for other reasons now, you know, for just like kind of mini YouTubes. Yeah. Pornhub owns it. Well, and this was uh, kind of cool because you could set it to different timings. Yeah. looked like, you know, like a minute, 10 minutes, whatever it's going to be for it to destruct. Well, I was thinking, what if, so five seconds, what if she sneezed during it or looked up? I know, and didn't see it. And missed it. I guess it's safer than her Keeping getting her caught phone. with it because yeah. he could always send it again. Oh, no, because he just deleted and wiped his whole phone. If he hadn't done that, he right. could send her another message. And that's actually a problem because she sends a text to Mobley's phone saying, where is he? That she's been waiting now for two hours, two hours. at this coffee shop. And where is Mobley? I mean, that really leads you to believe something bad must have happened to him, right? I'm thinking that Dark Army has him. Yeah. It's definitely not the FBI because they, they had to let him go already. Yep. It's the Dark Army. And hopefully... For good TV reason, I hope they don't just kill him. We never see him again. I would like to see like uh, what they do to them. Maybe they bring them all together in a secret place. Yeah, it was weird because uh. I didn't think Romero would have an off-screen death, and he did. But now that oh, that's true. We've been getting more FaceTime with Mobley. I think we will at least see him one more time, even if they do kill him. Yeah. Um. I can't believe that Trent waited there two hours. But do you think she'll leave and get out okay now? Once he doesn't respond to these texts, do you think she's going to be like, shit, he told me all of this. We were doing all this for a reason. Now he's not answering. I need to just do what he said and get out of here. I think that's what she's going to have to do. Or will she go back to go Darlene? Go back home? Oh, go back to Darlene. I don't know. No. Mobley's whole thing was to get out of here. So will yes. she say he was right and skip town? Don't even That's go back to I mean. her family. Just skip town? Yes. Or will she go back to Darlene? Right. I don't know. But I was thinking about how hard it would be to skip town because, one, you can't take a lot of money out of the yeah. bank. Two, credit cards are non-existent right now, nope. right? And she's got all of her family and friends are here. Huh. 
that's a lonely world right now for her. Yeah. Oof. She doesn't even have Mobley anymore, at least when the two of them t- were together. Go, like, freaking lay low in some flea bag motel somewhere or something for a while. Hashtag Lonely Trenton. Yeah. Lonely Trent. All right. Well, our final scene. I'm all blue now. I'm all sad. Um, lonely amongst those we think are friends and angry as well. Darlene hacks into mm-hmm. Cisco's computer, finds out he's had the camera on her while she was sleeping. Weird. But even bigger than that, Weird. she's getting these messages in Chinese. Can she read Chinese? Uh, I guess so, because she Cause read she's it. reading it. Yep. Um, they say, I have her. Uh, good job on the femme to sell, and stage two is about to begin. Stage two, man. What is stage two? Because White Rose talked about it. Yeah. What he was th- eager for it to happen. Stage one was Ecoin, right? We think, yeah. Well, take down existing structures, put this into place, and... Ooh, Elliot's getting out of jail. Yeah. Is stage two Elliot? And he has to do something, remember? Yes. You're going to get a letter right. where you'll have to do something. That might be part of stage two. I think it'll kick it off. I love this show. So they have her as leverage. They're not going to kill her, but they're going to hold her to make sure that Elliot does what they need him to do. Mm-hmm. You might be right. Well, she's finding out all this crazy shit. The only thing that doesn't make sense now is that he comes out of the bathroom, finds her on the ground. She's looking pretty scary, like scared but furious all at the same time. He looks down and sees the computer is smashed. He starts to ask what happened, and he's kind of like putting together. He's in that moment of realizing. He's like, what the fuck? And that's when she comes at him seemingly with the baseball bat to kill him or Walking to dead style. whack the shit out of him. Now, I mean, by the end of it, when you think it over, you're kind of led to believe that she doesn't kill him. Um, she either just takes a good swing at him because she's so pissed or more likely starts smashing everything, like the camera, the rest of the computer stuff, whatever right. that's in the room. How could you? What's the matter with you? Tell me what's going on. Because... He's her only link to the Dark Army right now. Mm-hmm. If she takes him out, she has no way to even know what's going on. He's got a lot of information that she needs. Now, I know she just hacked into some of it, but she's going to need him alive at this point. I think you're right. And the- one of our listeners also wrote in to say that he's her only protection against the Dark Army. So that's a big deal, too. Yeah, I think I automatically thought she killed him just because we just saw her kill someone. And I think Esmeal meant for you to think that. Good thinking. You might be right on that. All right, any other thoughts on the scenes in specific? No. You want to go to our robot rating? Robot rating. Quick refresher, IMDb gave it a 9. A 9.0, so they're a little down from what they have been. But Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 96%. You go first. I'm giving this my highest rating of the season yet at 9.6 robots. Wasn't last episode your highest rating too, as of yet? It was. I was at a 9.4. I wouldn't say that it was the best ever, and it definitely doesn't deserve closer to a 10 yet. Mm -hmm. But it was certainly my favorite this season. I think the pacing was really smart. There was a lot of action. 
They mixed it in with some hacking, but not too much technical jargon that I didn't know what was going on. We finally got to see what's going on with the rest of the group. They flashed back, so we found out how yeah. F Society was started in the first place. You had Angie falling apart. You had Darlene with her struggles. I mean, it was really intense, and it's almost bizarre and feels wrong that I give the highest rating to the episode without Elliot because I do want to reiterate that he's one of my favorite parts in dissecting his psyche, but because we've had such specific focus on him so intensely all season, we haven't had the opportunity to check in with all of these other things, and this just felt like a breath of fresh air and got me really on the edge of my seat again and excited about this suspense of the Mr. Robot we met in season one that made me fall in love with it. There was a quote from the critical consensus that says, one of Mr. Robot's most haunting and suspenseful episodes. Successor focuses on Darlene and F Society, where the stakes have been raised immeasurably and the group is on the brink of collapse. Darlene has dedicated her life to fighting monsters, and now she may have just become one. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said it all. I feel weird that I keep giving these such high numbers but the fact that we're doing podcast means we like it so absolutely and it'd be something wrong if we were giving out sevens like we did with walking dead imdb rotten tomatoes agree so it's not just us yeah. i'm giving it 9.5 yeah i can't believe it elliot episode but yep. again i didn't even think about the fact that we hadn't seen elliot till it was over and i was like shit we didn't even see elliot yep uh next episode is going to be elliot full and my reasons for liking it is the same as yours, so I won't repeat myself. Uh, Ryan gave us his ratings. He did a 9.5 as well. Wow. One of his highest ones. That's awesome that we finally all agreed, too, because we've been a little like, when you guys are high, I'm low, or vice versa, or, you know, what I, I think what's really cool, too, is that with IMDb and these other areas, they are consistently going up all season long, yes. which... You know, it's really hard to follow such a great season one with such an amazing show. They struggled just a little bit with the beginning of the season, but we still loved it. And now they've been steadily picking back up, and it just feels like they have indeed handled it the right way. And you pointed this out. I don't know if you pointed it out in the podcast, but when we have podcasts where you're like, we have 20 scenes this episode, Mm -hmm. as compared to when we have 15 or a little lower than that. It feels better for us, I think, to one, digest everything that's going on because there's still a lot going on in these scenes. Sure. We feel less uh, thrown around and less stressed. Yeah, and there was only 16 or 17 scenes here. And then we also talked about um, scenes that could be condensed, you know, where they were split for no reason. Now, he still followed that format in this episode where he split the scenes, but they were almost like one scene but they just kept bouncing back and forth. Yeah. So Trenton Mobley to Angie, Angie to Trenton Mobley. Um, it felt easier to follow and more cohesive than just like say sticking Elliot in the middle of that with a totally different storyline and then going back to them. Right. That's kind of jarring. Um, so I really liked the structure, the pacing, the action, the deeper look at everybody other than Elliot and how this is all going to fit into the big picture eventually. As far as where we're going in the future, I'm a little bit worried about our next episode. I've been meaning to talk about this for a while now, and it keeps slipping my mind. But in reading over the episode titles, I saw a while ago that episode nine will be titled In It Five. 
Now, if you recall, we heard about init1 a couple episodes back, which indicates a system is started up in single-user mode, turning all system users into one super user. That's right. The metaphor for that seemed to be Elliot's personality or personalities, Mr. Robot and whatever else is going on there, him starting to get a handle on that and eventually bring them into a more integrated... Cohesive person. Right, where he's merging that. So if that metaphor follows through, what is init five going to mean? How many F Society members we have? We have Elliot, Darlene. Well, other than Elliot, you have Trent, Mobley, Darlene... I guess, do you include not really Cisco in that, right? Uh, I don't know. Tyrell. So if you put Tyrell and Elliot, you're at five. Maybe they all have to band together. That would be great because I started getting really nervous. Is this going to be some kind of break? And we find out that Elliot, in fact, does have five personalities going not. on in there. No. Yeah, I really don't want to go in that direction. I'm enjoying the kind of him pulling his shit together yes. and coming back to help F Society. So I'm going to go with your theory. Yeah. Like we might better. be wrong on some of the people, but I think that's what they're going for with that one. Yeah, if you have any other ideas about In It 5, please write in prior to next week. We got a preview for Episode 9 where Darlene warns Elliot that the Dark Army may be cleaning house. Angie is reaching for the rubber ducky. And Elliot is locked on the subway. Price ends it with saying, I will reign chaos. Who's he talking to? (laughs) How does Elliot get locked on a subway? Looks like he won't eat fresh. Good to see him out of prison, though. (laughs) Clatcher's comments, our favorite section. Yay. All right, first of all, big shout out to Zippy Rich for giving us a kick-ass review on our Mr. Robot channel. Yeah. And City Princess 212 on our Coffee Clatch Crew channel. Your kind words and five-star ratings only help us to stay motivated to keep working hard and bring you more content. Yeah, we hate to be those people. I know that when you listen to podcasts, you're like, okay, here's the part where they ask us for stuff. Fast forward. Wait! Don't (laughs) fast forward. Please, if you like what you hear, rate and review. That's it. End of message. Thank you. (laughs) I like that. This message is now deleted. (laughs) Self-destruct. Also, you'll get a shout-out like ours to Red Reader for his tweet about Darlene. And this is happening tomorrow, being something discovered versus something planned. Love it. Shout-out to Josh CC, also tweeted us looking for when our Episode 7 podcast was going to be out. Hopefully we delivered on time. I love it when we get... uh Emails like, where the hell is the podcast? Makes me feel good, but also panicked. Like, I need to get it out quick. Yeah, but that's so much better than the ones that are like, all right, listen, you fucked up in these five ways. Yeah, Let me go true. through it. Yes. <laughs> and listen, those ones are fine, but could you, like, just be, like, sort of nice? Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we're going to go into some of our emails. Hopefully we have covered some of these topics already. But the first is from Joel in Grand Rapids on Joanna's Boyfriend. He says, loving your podcast. I'm glad that it's growing. And we may have missed a couple of things on their relationship. Uh, Firstly, that they've been together a little longer than what we were talking about. Because it wasn't just from the 5-9 hack. He talks about he shouldn't have gotten involved with her at the E-Corp party, which goes back further than that. He thinks that they've been together a lot longer, that she is a cheater, and that her baby could even be his. Oh, that's right. Shit. Yeah. And that Tyrell might know, which is why he sent her the ultrasound picture. 
and their relationship's been going on for months. And he also agrees with a theory that we got from Michelle that she might be setting him up for Sharon Knowles' murder so that he can take the fall instead of Tyrell. And that's what's going on with this choking in the bed, kinky sex thing. Oh, man. That she can be like, look, he did it and he tried to do it to me or something like that. Wow, I love those. So, yeah, thank you so much to Joel. Great comments. I, I So that's pretty cool. Now I'm picturing that scene again with the picture of the baby. And that has, now it has a completely different meaning to it. F you, you slut. That's crazy. Yep. But she did smile when she got the gift of the little baby rattle. Yeah, huh. well, she might not know oh, right. that this is all like a screw you. But if you think about it, it was the music box, the baby rattle, and the ultrasound. All in reference to the baby. Yeah. And this could be a very like mean message instead of the cutesy thing she's been looking at it as. I like that. And then his other theory with the choking. Uh, in our podcast, we kept saying, like, I don't know why they're showing us this. I mean, I don't understand her storyline. Why yeah. the divorce? And I did say that I thought Joanna was using Derek, that this whole relationship was baloney, and that he might have had some genuine feelings for her, or at least thought that he did. But she was... A, using him as sort of a Tyrell fill-in mm -hmm. for her sexual needs, and B, setting him up for something, that she was going to use him to take advantage of him to, to take the fall for something. But I just didn't put those pieces together. Right. And since then, I have had heard this theory a couple of times on her using him as the fall guy for Sharon Knowles' murder. And Michelle actually emailed us like a five-part email with a bunch of really great comments that I'll have to just give you kind of quick synopsis of. But one of them is also about the fact that she's definitely using Derek for the fall guy. Also in reference to what we talked about last time with the divorce and why would she have to put the summons out and could she possibly get the severance that way? She says she could be doing something called divorce by publication where she makes this official with her lawyer, and then she can claim the severance package. Oh, wow. Okay. So we were right on, I think, with that. Wow, that's smart of her. She has a lot of super smart comments. She also said, in reference to Elliot's imprisonment, that it could have been about Krista's boyfriend, so we briefly toyed with that idea. Um, or don't forget the chips that the dogs had and one of the dogs actually ate one of the chips and so they could have tracked it back anyway it's something minor like his dabbling with drugs or hacking somebody like krista's boyfriend i still don't think this rules out what happened in the server room as a possibility as well mm -hmm. but yeah definitely if it was for this big hack or something like that he'd be in prison for the rest of his life yes nice i'm loving this this is why this is my favorite part yeah, she talked about before where we said the Darlene thing, that she doesn't think she killed Cisco because uh, she needs him. It's her only protection against the Dark Army. And that she was also purposely not using the GPS tracker on Susan Jacobs, not looking at it. And finally, her last thing was about Esmail empowering women. This is more of an overall comment, which is why I saved it for last. We'll talk about it briefly. This is certainly a bigger topic that we can get into in more depth as we go along with our podcast, um, because I think it could be a general theme. She says she thinks it's great to see Esmail empowering women throughout the show. 
They're constantly making the big decisions, whether in front of us or behind the scenes. You have a character like Mr. Zhang, whose female alter, White Rose, is the one actually calling the shots. Darlene is in control of F Society now. Angie has some control over Mr. Price and getting her way to implement her bigger plan. And Dom seems to be the only member of the cybercrime FBI team that knows what she's doing. And of course, you have Joanna, the master manipulator. The women are generally in control of their male partners, and they are the ones playing with their emotions and their minds and whatnot. So I really like this comment. I think there's something to what she's saying, and Asmail is definitely playing with the idea of females in power. The problem is I think that while we do see some highlights of that, we also see some potential trouble or a lot of places where they're just outright failing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Darlene is in power, but she is clearly not handling things as well as Elliot did or could when he's there. Um, I think that Angie is getting beat by Mr. Price more often than she's winning. And if she does have a long game, at least right now, she doesn't have the power. She thinks she does. Right. But she's being played. You definitely have White Rose in control of things. But even though it is his female alter that's coming in in the moments of power, he struggles with not being able to show that female alter to certain people because it's still something he needs to suppress. So there's a lot of push-pull. I don't think that they're totally in control of the situation, but it's definitely a theme that he likes to bring up. So thank you. That's really great, and I want to continue to review those ideas. Candice, hi, love your podcasts. Currently listening to your Mr. Robot podcast. As others have said, I can't really find anyone to talk about the show with, even with my constant nagging to friends and family. (laughs) It's nice to be able to review each episode with those you love it as much as I do. I think she meant who loved it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, makes sense though. I want to share how I have been contributing to live viewing ratings. I turned the show on in another room and mute it and watch the recording I saved on another TV when I have time. Oh my goodness. Maybe you can share these <laughs> tips with others. That's awesome. I love that you are so dedicated to this show to increase the ratings like that. That's incredible. That's cool. Maybe we should all do that. <laughs> Thank you, Candice. And we have one more from Frank. Besides the idea that I believe Elliot is Tyrell, is Mr. Robot, is Darlene, is Angela. Oh, boy. Wait, that makes five. Tyrell, Mr. Robot, Darlene, Angela, and us. Maybe. I still don't think so because there's no way he could have been all those places while he was in jail. But more power to you, Frank. (laughs) Sam is playing the audience. I do not believe for a second that Sam built Angela up, showing her grit and determination to seek revenge for her mother's death just to humiliate her by putting her in situations that see her fail. There's a game Angela is playing, and I believe this is only the beginning of her revenge plan. Don't forget her and Elliot grew up together, and in previous episodes, Elliot admitted that she was as smart, if not smarter than him. I agree with that, and I think this is definitely only part one, and she has other plans in mind. I just think that the parts she's attempted so far have failed miserably. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yes. I, I, you know, I don't feel a lot of encouragement that it's going to work. Sam gave us the prison. He gave us obvious hints throughout this season concerning Elliot's whereabouts. This was a diversion. Sam mm-hmm. cleverly had the audience focus our attention on where Elliot was and had us ignore what Angela was doing. If we go back and concentrate on Angela's plot line, we will see the beginnings of a plan to take out Evil Corp. That's definitely true. Yeah. 
a lot of this Elliot stuff has been distraction, but I don't think it's just been from Angie. It's been from everything else, which is what he's given us in this episode Mm -hmm. and why I loved it. Because as much as I did like going into those other things, I felt that hole. And and subconsciously, I think I knew you're doing this thing where it's like, look over here, look over here. Don't pay attention to the big thing. And I, I didn't know it that that's what was happening. But seeing this episode now, I completely get it. And I love that we're getting the bigger picture. So I think overall, you're definitely right. And it'll be nice once Elliot's finally back out in the real world to see how it all slots together. As far as the everybody's Elliot, Elliot's everybody, we've gotten that a lot. I don't think we need to go into that anymore. I don't believe it is true. But... Maybe that's the power of five. I don't know. The in it fives got me wondering, yeah. I will say. And your number count does make sense. Strange. Uh, thank you for a great podcast. I've seen you guys grow from the beginning. I look forward to this and other podcasts every week. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. I love this. Thank you, guys. That's, uh, that's it for Clatcher's comments. I hope you got a lot out of it, as we did. So many theories we didn't even think about. It's wonderful. It's the best part of the podcast. Please keep writing. That's not Tyrell's baby. (laughs) Crazy. That's it for this episode. Don't forget socially to link up with us. Facebook, we're at Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. Twitter, at CKC Podcast. Mm -hmm. We are on uh, Instagram, CKC Podcast. And email us. Yes. Contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. This show is coming to an end soon, and we will be doing an episode where we have five or six shows that we will let you guys vote for. Yeah, whichever wins will be the next one we do a review on. If you don't follow us over, we will find you and hack you. <laughs> we'll find out what other podcasts you're listening to. <laughs> no, we, uh, we definitely want to hear your feedback on that, so we'll be letting you know soon when we will put in for those five shows and your poll on the winner. But in the meantime, we'll be back next week to review episode nine in at five. Tom, thanks for listening. And Michelle, here's your shout out. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.